friend. The mystical American Patriot Society is transmitting to you from beneath 4 million cubic feet of solid granite, in the burning heart of the Yellowstone caldera. This is a variety program for normal sandwich-eating Americans with some concerns about living in a deranged, post-Christian technocracy. So, keep your third eye on the sky and your ear to the ground, as Sumo and Smokestack connect your main brain vein to a higher plane. Are you ready? Stand by. If you made one whopper with no pickle and no lettuce? No, sir. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Oh, well, in that case, could I have the other whopper with extra ketchup? Sure. We can serve your grilled beef whopper fresh with everything on top of any way you think is proper. Have it your way. Now that's the way to do things, our way. Have it your way, have it your way at Burger King, Burger King. We must return to tradition. We must indeed. <clears throat> Isn't that great? You know, if you, it, <laughs> I bet a lot of our uh, older listeners remember that that commercial. We have? Do we have older listeners? Oh, we have we have we have we have a lot of boomers. Yes, a lot of people in their eighties and nineties listen awesome. to the show. Hey guys, yeah, a lot of people in the nursing homes are bigger than nursing homes. We uh, we single handedly saved a lot of nursing homes from accepting COVID patients, even though it isn't real, uh, because we were warning them early on about it. Yeah, well, not to pat ourselves on the back, but yeah, we did. Well, I mean, I think a little bit of back padding is deserved. We did save roughly 2.8 million lives. Yeah. Over the past year. Yeah. Uh, and have gotten very little credit for it. I'm not saying we're heroes, but, you know. Well, we, we, we're at least not mass murderers. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. like some, some mayors and governors of states. Right. True. True. But that's, but that's another, another story. I'm just, a lot of people that would be vulnerable to COVID also are listeners and also remember that Burger King commercial. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset. Can you imagine someone having that attitude today? Oh, man. I was just thinking that that sort of service is is not, I mean, eat with or without singing. Just that attitude. That Like, yeah. that would be so awesome to go into a restaurant. I was just complaining yesterday uh, to one of our listeners that um, now you go to Chick-fil-A and you get waited on in the drive-thru by uh, transgendered Napoleon Dynamite. Really? I, yeah. <laughs> I haven't noticed that. I don't go to Chick-fil-A um, really ever. Yeah. But I haven't noticed that in a long time. Although their, their um, fast food efficiency is remarkable. 
Well, they're, their drive, they're, their they're still lines. efficient, but now they're also efficient at fast food apostasy. Well, yeah, I mean, um, the, the Chick Fil A's charter is to is to hold the deposit of the faith <laughs> and to make sure that they keep the teachings of the apostles alive. <laughs> right. And people that people that <laughs> trust in them to do that are not misguided at all, <laughs> because they're not. But you know what I'm saying. I'm really just complaining about their woke <laughs> staffing choices. Oh, I know. Well, the problem is, I think the problem is now, if you're a big company, your pool of, of people that in their 20s and teens that would work your fast food jobs are like 60% woke people. Well, yes, I suppose that's true. So you're like, well, what? who do I, get, who do I pull from? You know? Maybe a like little I, sympathy is in order. Yeah, like I was at the gas station the other day, and this, um, in because unfortunately I had to make another trip to Florida, which is Florida. It's it's every meme about Florida man is true, and has been true for all time. Um, they are a, they are both an uh, uh, an admirable people and also a garbage people, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, every person in Florida um, is nice and has a suntan, mm-hmm. but is also on meth, has a, a tattoo of someone named Julia, and uh, a pair of brass knuckles in their pocket. And they're all, it's the same, it's, it's wherever you go, there's always some guy walking on the side of the road shirtless, no matter if it's the major highway or a small road out in the swamp. Always a shirtless guy walking, um, and I was there, and I saw a, a a young woke Floridian who had blue hair, very skinny. Mm-hmm. He was he was wearing pink nails. Um, and I don't even know. He didn't even seem like he was uh, on the on the 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 spectrum of the letters. The LGBT ABCD letters. I think even that is he, breaking down now. Yeah, he just, I think he just wanted to wear it because he was bored. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he had the blue hair and he had the fingernails and he had lipstick. Uh, but he still had a, a, a tattoo of somebody named Lucy, very visible on his collarbone under his shirt. Interesting. And I'm sure he was still on meth and had brass knuckles. I'm sure all those things were still true about him. Yeah. And so what am I going to do? Am I going to get mad at, I think this was a flying J? Yeah, I did, of course. <laughs> um, but was it fruitful? Probably not. No. You know, flying J, I, I've mentioned this before, that flying J is your best on-road shower situation. I'm a loves apparently. man myself. There's the, that's the big divide. That's the divide of our age. You know, like when, when our parents were growing up, it was Ford or Chevy. Mm-hmm. And then when we were growing up, it was Nintendo or Sega. Yeah. And now among the kids, the youth, it is Flying J or Loves. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've always been a Flying J person, although Loves, I, I could see the appeal of Loves. Mm-hmm. They always have those, those thinly disguised weapons in Loves. You notice that? Oh, yeah, like to check your tire pressure or whatever. Yeah, it's like check your tire pressure and it's just a bat with a spike on the end of it or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
And I hear check your. This is for all the. I guess truck drivers feel the need to have clubs a lot. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think so. But my favorite part about that that's a that's a commercial from 1974 for Burger King. My favorite part about it is then they also felt the need to make a black version. Oh yes. <laughs> so let's play that one real quick. This is the same. This came out the same year, a little after. Okay, coming at you. You, sir? If I wanted a Whopper and I asked you to hold the pickles and hold the lettuce, I know I'd get that fast. But would I get to hear you sing? No, sir. No? You'd get to hear us sing, girls. Ooh, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special order, donut bread, and all we ask is that you let us serve in your way. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I want that. Can we clip that? Him saying that and just use that as a stock sound. Yes, we can. All right. <laughs> they, sure can. He walks in. He walks in. They. It's basically the same commercial, but they've made everyone black. Yep. And uh, the guy walks in, and he's wearing a great seventies disco jacket, like leisure suit sort of thing. Yeah, he yeah. looks fantastic. And he walks in, and he says, "Can I? I know I'd get that fast, but you can tell advertising is sort of primitive still." Mm-hmm. He's like, if I ask for that, I know I get it fast. But I get it, and he then when he says, "When I get here, you sing," and she says, "No," he says this look of like racial discrimination. <laughs> like you're not the white lady would sing, yeah. but the, they're not going to make the black. And she and then but then she goes, "You could hear us sing," and she snaps her fingers, and the other two black women that are working at the counter spin around and raise their hands up and start singing. He's like, "All right, now no, it's not discrimination. It's even better." <laughs> And there's one old white couple like in the booth just jamming. Yeah, I'd, I'd be jamming. That was great. I'd listen to that for fun. I mean, yeah, that was great. It was, it was great. But I like those things don't have anything to do with what we're talking talk about today. Uh, except that I guess um, it, it highlights the continual fact that America uh, simply cannot having a stop having a weird relationship with black people. It's true. <laughs> Like they just can't act normal, right? <laughs> like they no. have to do big show. Like, well, we had the commercial, yes, but do we need a jive one? And everyone was sitting around Burger King, going, "Yeah, we probably need a jive one. We probably need one that's like soul with black people. Otherwise, they won't buy hamburgers." Yeah, and that's like, and they still do. Are you familiar with the three sixty five black dot com? No, what is that? Well, it is. It was recently in the in the in the parade of wokeness over the past couple of years um, removed. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the numbers three six five and then the word black dot com, as like you're black all year round, it would go. It still it still reroutes you to McDonald's, uh, but it would go. Until until like 2017, I think it would take you to a special 
black person McDonald's website. Really? <laughs> yeah, 365 black. It didn't have McDonald's in the title, but he would go and you and every it would be it was basically the same website as the regular McDonald's website, but uh, all the pictures were replaced with pictures of black people, and there was a lot more emphasis on hip hop and hamburgers. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really a thing. It was very curious, but they felt the need to be like, yeah, well, <clears throat> obviously black people won't purchase hamburgers if we just have pictures of hamburgers and nice prices. They have to be hip hop involved. Or otherwise, the black youth are not going to come to the store. And uh, this was a website that existed for like 10 years. Because I, I first remember being familiar with it a while ago. And then I would check back in on it every now and then to just just admire it. And all of its dumpster fireness. But they had, a, they had people that were like staffed with a separate McDonald's black website. Which I thought was great. I'm just kind of floored by this because this this means that a corporate executive suite types think that like young regular people just cruise fast food corporate websites for kicks. Right. As though anyone was going to this website ever. Except, or had except any, to laugh at it. Yeah. Or that it had any bearing on whether or not you would buy a hamburger. Like, does anyone go to McDonald's regular website? I can just imagine like the 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 marketing meeting where they bring in the 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 graph of the traffic to 365black.com and they're like, "Man, traffic's up. This website is a huge hit." And it's everybody's just visiting it to gawk and laugh. Yeah, yeah. which I imagine is what and then at some point in the wokeness they thought, "Hmm, someone pointed out that maybe having a separate although although segregation's coming back into style on a lot of campuses, so it may come back around." Yeah. Uh, and you'll have another, you'll have uh, <clears throat> Mickey Hip Hops or whatever. And I'll put it up there. It'll be Ronald McDonald, but with a lot more chains. Yeah. And he'll, and he'll be, um, he'll, he'll remove, he'll have a commercial where he'll take makeup remover, remove his makeup, and he found out he's been black all along. It's just so incredibly patronizing. I can't. I- <laughs> well, we still, we still do this. America I still can't. I mean, right now they feel a lot of people, a lot of journalists, and feel the need to literally pretend a comic book land in Africa called Wakanda is real. This it's like the it's like the business equivalent of of me having a black family over to my house for dinner and and trying to like wear Zulu clothing and 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 serve like. You know, which, weird... which our Congress did. Yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. that they put yeah. on that kente cloth. Yeah, man. <laughs> and did it? It's like, what are you doing, you weirdos? I'm making you feel welcome, strange people. <laughs> Look, I also appreciate the, your things. <laughs> it's like, and today it's Kwanzaa. Yeah, yeah. And people, yeah. I've never. I I've never met a single black person in my life that celebrated Kwanzaa. Neither have I. Because it's because Neither it's a I. made up, not real thing. <laughs> they mostly celebrate Christmas. I think white people only celebrate Kwanzaa. I, exactly. <laughs> it. I don't understand. But see, white people in this country uh, do not know how to interact with black people, and I don't know why they can't just be normal. 
Yeah, man. They have to do all of these wild things. Mm -hmm. Like, they have to get on there and say, actually, you know, black women built the space shuttle. Right, right. And everyone goes, what? It's like, yeah, there was, I mean, there's the hidden figures. It's so awkward when people are, like, trying to pretend they believe that. Yeah, because they know they don't. The real hidden figures were the Nazis, obviously. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, that's Operation Paperclip. That yep, it is. Werner von I mean, Braun. True. They, they <laughs> hid them away, and they didn't really talk about their contributions very much. But uh, without the Nazis and their V-2 rockets, there would be no NASA. Mm-hmm. They're the real hidden figures. We need yeah. to make another movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it'll still have black women in it. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're goose-stepping down the hallway, and they're in full Nazi regalia. Now, I would buy a because ticket they, to that. Yeah, exactly. Well, recast Werner von Braun as a black woman. Yes. Oh, yes. Who who hates the Jews, naturally. Which isn't that big of a step for some black people. I hope Harvey Weinstein's listening to this. He could produce this movie. Right. Because she will be a black Hebrew Israelite also, mm-hmm. who claims that she is the she's the actual Jew. Yeah, right. And that the, the Jewish people are imposters. It's all coming together. This is going to be a great movie. But yeah, people just, I mean, America, I don't know what is wrong with white people in America. I mean, I guess, I mean, the thing is people feel uncomfortable around people who are dissimilar to them. Well, you know, a little sympathy is due because, especially in public school, young children are subjected to psychological abuse around racism and history and all this stuff to the point where you have if you have budding friendships between young people of different races it's swiftly destroyed by the public school curriculum and indoctrination that they're subjected to yeah but i don't understand why kids take i mean my my default position going to school was like yeah whatever like that was the that's what you're supposed to do as a cool kid is you're supposed to ignore what your teachers are saying. No, they don't do that anymore. And I don't I know. and even I think most kids from our generation were a lot of them were not able to do that because it's not it's not like the teacher was telling you about the importance of a budget. It was it was talking about you know, it was about like guilt and injustice and you know these all this this all the hand wringing and all the really important you know it's like you only get to you only get to make one point to the kids right they're only they're not going to listen to you every time so save your ammo and they right. saved it for this and they and they just successive generations that could have just been normal with each other are turned into this awkward nonsense by really by entirely artificial means at this point yeah, I guess so. I never, I never listened to any, even when they were trying to guilt me on stuff. I had enough. Yeah. To, I was always a child worried about uh, eternal hellfire. That's as you should be. More than yeah. race relations, and right. so I was too busy worried about, um, y- you know, committing the the sin of Enoch or whatever. Everybody, not, everybody's the same color in hell. You know, right? Which is a uh, uh, fire red, color, red and crispy, red and crispy, and so yeah. And but oh man, America just cannot be normal with with, and a lot of it is is of course 
in-group preference disguised as out-group altruism. Yeah. Like, like stop Asian hate, but right. also don't let them into Ivy League schools. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also, China's our mortal enemy who's actually committing a genocide against Muslims, who, by the way, we also like to kill. But uh, stop Asian hate. Right. They're literally committing genocide against the Muslims. Stop Asian hate. Don't let them out of the school. Stop Asian hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, it's the it, that's the gives the game away. Yeah. Because like, like rightly or wrongly, I think Prague Rock Farmer made a good point that it's rightly uh, because American blacks chose MLK over Malcolm X, which was the wrong choice. But I digress. Uh, but the sort of waspy class that goes to Ivy League schools which then funnels them into high-paying careers and positions of status and political parties, doesn't view African-Americans as a threat mm-hmm. to their power. Because the in choosing MLK over Malcolm X, they chose integration into the existing system rather than self-rule. Right. But it does think that Asians could become a threat. So they actively discriminate against Asians, letting them into their colleges. Mm-hmm. And they're engaged in in-group preference of like, their New Englandy waspy class while screaming stop Asian hate. See, and then they let in the black people who they don't view as a threat uh, in order to say, well, we don't have any room for Asians because we have to let in these other people. It's also messed up on just so many levels. It's very messed up. It's, um, it's very bad. Um, it's very cynical. Mm-hmm. It's very evil. I mean, um, as Prog Rock Farmer says, black people in America really do not have any power. They're just used as a buffer zone between the wealthy and a poor and the poor to exclude others from their ranks who might challenge them. Like, oh, you poor people. Like, you notice how it's always like um, Midwesterners and it's these people that don't really have enough money, but are always like. Could be middle class enough to maybe start getting power. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you guys are, ra-, and they just keep throwing racism at them, and they use these yeah. blacks as a buffer zone. Mm-hmm. It's all it is, yeah, you know. And uh, but really, yeah, Malcolm X was the way to go. Black people. He was a smarter man, less of an adulterer and mm-hmm. plagiarizer. Yeah, and and he was actually arguing for black autonomy and like self rule, right? Which was the way to go, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <sighs> But, you know, uh, they didn't ask me at the time because I no. wasn't born yet. Right. But that, but hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. Um, we, you know, with his truth is marching on. <clears throat> Those two things are the same song. How great are those outfits they're wearing also? Like the big poofy red and yellow hats? Oh, they're fantastic. I'll put, uh, at I'll some put point, links in the show notes. At some point, fast food workers just stop trying. Yeah. They just stop. They were like, ah. I mean, they, they used to look great. <sighs> oh, I got tea. So anyway, we have, some, uh, we have some news today to talk about before we get into our main things. We do? We do have some news to talk about today. Well, you know, like the boat issue. Oh, yeah, that whole thing. And the, the thing that fell from the sky. Oh, but before we do mailbag, we got a mailbag. Mm-hmm. You sent me a mailbag. Um, who was it from? What was the name of this person? Let me see. 
Uh, I'll read it first, and then I'll then I'll tell you who sent it. It was uh, it, <laughs> here was the letter. It said, "I find it remarkable how closely reality today is mirroring the fictional Warhammer 40k universe. The scientific method is for heretics. Quote research unquote is replaced with rote cult rituals where the practitioners don't understand what they are doing." Can you and Sumo have a discussion about the bizarre emerging cult of science? And that was from someone who called themselves um, Adeptus Mechanus Fabricator General. I love it that we have a Fabricator General now. Me too. I mean, that's a great title. Uh, this person is the is the captain of our propaganda arm. Sweet. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, the cult of science. It, well, I mean, we're in a cargo cult. We live in a cargo cult. Mm-hmm. I wish I was more familiar with Warhammer 40K so I could speak on that aspect of it. As I are yeah, you, also am. Are you? No, I think, I'm, I'm not very familiar. I think for some reason a lot of our listeners are. I've gotten multiple Warhammer 40K references, um, but I never... I was a nerdy enough kid as it was, right? <laughs> yeah. And I never, and I always felt like, though I felt the call of having little miniatures to paint, mm-hmm. I never took the step because I cognized that would be a, one bridge too far. I see. Just like this is why I never got into Pokemons. Because, I mean, the idea of autistically collecting weird things mm-hmm. that were made up has always been fun. Yeah. That's why people... It's like baseball cards, but you could make up whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. The original NFT, if you will. <laughs> and uh, it was that I could always see why people were into that. And then there were like different Game Boy games. They there's like blue and red and yellow or something, and you could put them. You could your Game Boy would remember your status from one game or your Pokemon's, and they'd have them in the other game, and so it's this big complicated system. And creating a big, a big made-up, complicated system that one has to navigate always appeals to a certain part of the male brain. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I, for the same reasons that I didn't go down the Pokemon's road, I didn't go down the Warhammer 40k road or the Dungeons and Dragons road. Yeah. Because it was just too. I felt like if you go across the Dungeons and Dragons road, it would. <sighs> So I so growing up there was across the road well across the road from where I went to school there was a little field and and occasionally when I was in like middle school I would see people out there uh in larping clothes yeah dressed dressed as like a knight or like a wizard and I just have this memory of like someone being out there going fireball <laughs> and like Throwing like a red painted styrofoam ball at somebody, and I remember thinking, "All you have to do is avoid being that, and you will you will get through school." Mm-hmm. So I never went. I never could do because I was always afraid of anything that might lead to that. Yep. And I feel like Warhammer. I'm not saying that our our listeners that were Warhammer 40k people or still are are that are that. Some of them probably are. But uh, that that's why I'm not familiar with it. But yeah, it, it is. Um, it's a cargo cult. Um, Warhammer 40k happens, is a cargo cult. 
No, our society is a oh, part of cult. yes, yes. When he talks about cult of science, and we, we've mm-hmm. replaced research with rote cult rituals. Yes. People don't understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this happens when people begin to mistake the outward forms of things for the things those forms represent. Indeed. For example, people have come to think of the institutions where science has traditionally been done as being synonymous with science. In other words... In the public's head, Harvard is science. The CDC is science. Right? Science as a method or a tool is lost or completely irrelevant because we're just worshiping Coca-Cola bottles and photos of Prince Charles. We're just worshiping the the outward forms of the things. All the accoutrements around the, the... the things that gave us the science and the technology have become a symbolic replacement for the thing itself. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing that is happening in government too. Like the court is democracy. The numbers displayed on the screen is the vote. Right. Right. Uh, you see this, the way people talk about freedom of the press, like as though the, the press quote unquote was ever meant to refer to in, to like CNBC. Yeah. It literally means the freedom of the printing press. Mm-hmm. Like the, not capital P press with like an institution, like the press, like the thing that presses. Yep. Uh, and the idea was that no one could censor what could be put on the printed page, what could be pressed. But in cargo cult world, that gets twisted round to mean that if you ever make fun of a mainstream German journalist, you're violating the First Amendment. <laughs> Because they're like, well, the, the this person looks like a representative of the people that used to run a press. Therefore, right? Yep. That's what we. That's what uh, it is. In in the absence of a rigorous state religion, humans will turn anything into a religion. Uh, correct. That's and that's how that switch happens between the substance and the form. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, a cargo cult in its most basic form is a a primitive society performing rituals and rites they believe will cause a more sophisticated technologically society to deliver material goods to them. Yeah. Like maybe technology, maybe better blankets or penicillin, maybe Coca-Cola, sodium Walkmans or something. Right. Um... Hold on, I have a cat problem. Oh, this is terrible. Give me five seconds. Give me five seconds. Here we go. I'm going to get have rid of this thing. your way. Have it your way. Burger King. hear me i can okay that was that was the listener's fault um what is it oh yeah cargo cult right yeah they are uh it's a it's a primitive society performing rituals to get stuff from a more technologically advanced society like uh you're familiar with the with with john from no 
Not John Frum? Are, are listening? Um, oh, well, so, so we are the people of uh, Vanuatu Island. Yes. And we are ritualistically blessing our hands with holy hand sanitizer. <laughs> and, perf- and performing the sacred cleaning of the chairs with wipe down cloths. In yep. order to receive the blessings of John Frum. Uh, John, I love John Frum. John Frum, I think... I think this is likewise. I think this may. I think I like John from because I I suspect that it may be our destiny also. Mm-hmm. Like sometime in the coming decades, the cave dwelling Walmart tribe of Idaho will be burning incense to the god Smokestack, hoping to receive blessings to their herb garden. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. Will probably. I think that's probably what, where our trajectory is headed. Uh. The the Walmart tribe of Idaho. Uh, but yeah, the religion of John Frum was this religion that started on the island of uh, Tana in uh, Vanuatu. And there are lots of theories about where the religion started. Um, but a lot of people believe it was centered around the worship of an actual American named John. And it became John Frum, F-R-U-M, as a corruption of John from America. Oh, funny. Right, isn't that isn't that ridiculous? It was John John from America, and people were just like who's who got who gave us these things? Oh, John from America. John gave us these Coca Cola bottles. Yeah, John from America. And they start saying John from. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got a. What happened was during the war, American troops were stationed on the island, and they had uh, a near endless supply of nice goods that they would share. Uh, you know, they had clothes, they had food, they had radios, they had uh, soda, they had um, <clears throat> nice blankets. They could build houses and stuff that wouldn't fall down in a hurricane. And um, then they left after the war. And this was all the people on the island could do was hope that they would come back and bring all their nice stuff with them. So they started literally building landing strips and like praying over them. Oh no. Hoping that doing this would cause the planes to come back and bring them cargo. Um, and they would actually stand out there with painted sticks as if they were guiding in non-existent planes. (laughs) And they would just hope that like, they were like, well, look, this is what the people that were here. This is what the Americans did to make the plane come. Maybe if we do it, the plane will come. See, that was the thinking. And it's not its not irrational, totally. It's like, well, yeah, we'll just copy what they did. And that's what we are looking back on, like, oh, America used to be prosperous. America used to be strong. What if we just ape the things that Americans back then did? Like, they liked science. Yeah. We, we, we effing love science. <laughs> they liked to march around in the street and talk about black people. Yeah. <laughs> we will march around in the street and talk about black people. They <laughs> they like to talk, you know, they like to have immigrants. We if we just do the things they did and the 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 it, it doesn't and they were just painting sticks on non-existent runways and waving them around in the sky. Hoping that, I mean, the John Frum religion got really crazy. It still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like in the 50s, there was this one guy named uh, Nakamaha, and he created the Tana Army, which still exists, uh, which isn't really an army. It's more of a ritualistic society. Okay. It does organized military parades mm-hmm. because the men on the island would march in drills. And they said, well, if we march in the drills, John Frum will return and give us the blessings. Like if we just create the same thing here, the planes will come back. Has anybody just loaded up a plane with stuff and landed on the airstrip that they built for? You uh, know? There's been some people that have tried to humor them. Yes. Which hasn't been good for them because it just justifies their. I mean, I guess it worked in that sense, right? If you do it long enough, people are like, what are they doing? <laughs> uh, I guess we'll bring some cargo because they're really. <laughs> so maybe, you know, it's not. Uh, but yeah, nonviolent military parades is something I also expect from our listeners in the future. Get to it, guys. A lot mm-hmm. of tassels. Uh, and so these parades, they would wear like, they'd wear white t-shirts that said T-A-U-S-A on them. They'd write in English letters. They stood for Tana Army USA. Wow. And they still do this parade every year on February 15th, which is John Frum Day, which is the day of the year on which the followers believe John Frum will return uh, and bring them the blessings from above, from the sky, with his airplane. There was this whole documentary about it called The Waiting for John, which was great by David Attenborough. Um, they even have their own political party on the island now, the John from Society. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, there's an, and there's another There's another on the same island that instead of worshiping John from, worships Prince Philip instead. Interesting. Yeah, like their actual Prince Philip, like they have like the, and he, when he learned about this, he actually went to the island and uh, tried that to talk go? to them about it. Uh, it was okay. They they still believe he's a divine being. I think that they, I think in their cosmology, Prince Philip is like a brother of John from or something. Okay. I don't know. Because I think they got the idea that like England, it, America comes from England or something. And so mm-hmm. they're like, oh, English. And then the Prince Philip is like the. God of England, or whatever. So, in their heads, Prince Philip and John Frum are brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have they have like little shrines set up to Prince Philip and stuff. And uh, but yeah, so it's it's cargo cult mentality. Max Kaiser said the same thing the other day. Um, because because the the like I said the the cargo cult is just mimicking like the dress styles and the day to day activities of people who were prosperous in hopes that you will also make that happen. And what is SJWism but a relarping of the 1960s when we used to be prosperous? Yeah, back when people had stuff, they used to march and talk about black people a lot. If we do that, ergo, boo boo boo, dot dot dot. You know, it's like step one, step two, step three, question mark, question mark, question mark, step four, profit. Yeah. And it's all just it's all just runways to nowhere with colored sticks. Um of course Max Kaiser is a money guy and he was comparing this to uh well, you know, this year is the fiftieth anniversary of the US dollar. What? Yeah, it's that well in his in his in his language. Okay. Uh because it is the fiftieth anniversary of when the US dollar was taken off the gold standard. And so gotcha. he's always claimed that it makes it a different currency, mm-hmm. which is sort of true. Yeah, I, I agree with that. 
And so he's like, and it hasn't gone. He's he says it hasn't gone well, has it? <laughs> Taking it off the yeah, uh, because uh, like a lot of people, like inflation didn't really happen, but it 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 it's just an enormous. I mean, one it did obviously because back when you back when you could have it your way at Burger King, Burger King whoppers were like ten cents. Yep. Um, so that's a big, and then also like the stagnating wages are a form of inflation. The inflation is dispersed over the whole. There's a great website called What Happened. It's WTF happened in 1971. Are you familiar? And it's just no. graph after graph after graph of like wages versus GDP, and then like uh, life expectancy and um, household income, number of people, and it's all nice linear graphs until 1971. I get off the gold standard, and then they just start diverging wildly. Yeah, and the diverging goes more and more in each direction. Um. Which is probably the root of a lot of our problems at the moment. Now, I mean, it's, it's people don't like it when you can reduce something that is such profound spiritual problems to like something as bland as money. Well, it's not but just lo- it's not as bland as money because it's a it's a program of pillaging. Correct. Uh, it, it, like it, it's a pillaging of the middle class of America. Correct. So all yeah. that wealth that came out of the post-war years and went to the middle class is now being harvested by the elites yeah and it and it fuels a lot of these behaviors like like so traditional american um protestant values like work hard and save and like be prudent doesn't it stops working when um there's no more incentive to save money because the value of money is continually devalued yes yeah absolutely right and so like then people then in that environment the only reasonable option is hedonism because if you don't spend it now, it will be worth less in the future. So it fuels this consumerism. It fuels this. Uh, and then people cannot save, save money and like try to get ahead. So people are terrified of like losing their job and their health insurance. And they don't want to stand up to wokeism. It's all this big, it's like a, it's like a little domino meme. You know, you push the little domino and the big domino mm-hmm. falls. Yeah. It's the same. It's the it's the same thing. It's if, it's if we were able to secure our own futures in retirement through our own hard work and independence, we know we wouldn't be beholden to wokeness, or we wouldn't fear, you know, being canceled or whatever, because we would have the the economic power to get what we needed by our own work. But right. that's that's been to a large degree taken away. Right. Um, Thank you, Nixon. Uh, But it's psychological, too. I mean, it goes back to the it goes back to the 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 people on the island and their cargo cult because they had. I think this is the same psychology that's in all all humans everywhere. But they had on this island, they had what they called the culture of the big man and the rubbish man. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of primitive societies are centered around. Uh, gift giving and mutual exchange. Yep. And the and the the person that could give the most gifts to people was called the big man because mm-hmm. he had the most resources. And then, but you were always expected to repay gifts that you were given in some other fashion. And if you couldn't, you were deemed a rubbish man, right? Which is like he couldn't, he can't basically pay his debts, right? Um. It's the same, the same psyche. Like people, um, 
listen to the so-called elites because with their fake money, they can be the big men handing down the gifts from the gods. Like they have all the resources, right? Right. And then uh, the, the society has branched into two groups. One group is people that have convinced themselves that they deserve, and I'm not claiming which one is right here, but they convince themselves that they deserve the gifts from the big men. Mm-hmm. In the forms of entitlements and welfare, and the other people are people who remember that they could used to be big men themselves back in the day. Like they, this is the 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 cultures that still like you know the Rust Belt and stuff. They remember a time when they used to have factory work and good jobs. Yep. But now they're rubbish men, and they they resent that. Yeah. And they don't want the entitlements because they, in their minds, that makes them rubbish men. And that's why people are always like, why don't you just accept more welfare? And they're like, but we don't want welfare. Because in their minds, like, they're still operating in that frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got this big man, rubbish man. And it's that's, that's why the cargo cult took off. Because, like, imagine you're the society that has that social system. And then people land from the sky with basically boxes and boxes of infinite amounts of goods. They become the biggest of the big men. Yep. Right? Because they just no and then 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 the cargo cult the people on the island all felt like rubbish men by comparison and they just began to worship them. I mean it's it's just sort of and that's really that's the religion of most everybody on the planet. Is the worship of whomever or whatever they think will give them the most stuff. People pretend People pretend it's they're not after that. They're like, I'm after heaven, they say. But then their descriptions of heaven are just like filled with gold and silver talk. <laughs> right? It's just like I get the biggest of the stuff just later. And 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 that's the, I'm there are people that like that I mean Alan Watts used to talk about that. He would say, Nothing's changed since we were children wanting candy parse. He said, we were, we, we, we were kids, and we wanted a candy bar, and we got the candy bar, and we found out we're still not satisfied in our soul. So we move on to progressively higher things. Like we said, okay, it wasn't candy bars. Maybe satisfaction is found in getting the highest score in a video game. And then you do that, and you're like, okay, it's not there. Maybe it's being the football star. Okay, it's not there. Maybe it's bidding the best grades and going to the best college. Or maybe it's in getting the best career, making the best money. No, okay. Maybe the real goodie isn't a material goodie. Maybe it's like a highbrow thing. It's found in art and literature and music. And then you get good at that. And you're like, ah, no. I say, ah, I see it's a spiritual goodie. But you're still just after the same thing you were after when you wanted candy bars. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that, which is, which is the Buddhist critique of people in general. And they say, well, every, there's a, that's where their idea of abandoning all desire comes from. Cause they say, well, you're just always searching for desire, but then you're in a loop of like, well, now I want to not, now I'm desiring not to desire. Yeah. That didn't work either. <laughs> so, which, which of course the Buddha recognized and he said, he would say, try not to desire too much. That's what they called the middle way. Cause like, if you try, then you're going to, then you're still desiring. And so just shoot four, and then, and then he, it was basically this path of apathy. You know. Um, but yeah, so you're always in that sort of loop. I mean, even early Christianity had this. I mean, there's a the narrative for many converts was, although it appears that you're a rubbish man, you're actually 
going to be regarded in the afterlife and given everything. Hence, you are a big man. Is this sort of the appeal of the health and wealth preacher? Yeah, but is my that, point is, is that that's, all, that's always been an aspect. Right. Uh, which is why Christianity in the early days took off so well in the lower enslaved classes. Mm-hmm. It still does. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. A lot of people in the first century were genuine uh, and had less base reasons. But a lot there was certainly a sizable portion for whom that was the appeal. Sure. You know? And don't think you don't do the same, listener. Everybody does this to an extent. I mean, just... What portion of people's prayers are just like, can you give me some stuff? That's a pretty big bit, I'd imagine. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, for, if you took all the prayers of the world of people, what portion of them are asking for stuff? Like fun stuff? Well, or just like any stuff. Like, yeah. you know, just health or like material blessings or whatever. Right. So that's a big, a big portion. I mean, it's all just... the. I got to wave the sticks and hopefully the plane comes down from the sky. And what it's not, I don't think it's wrong to pray for things that you need, but right. we need to, we need to acknowledge the fact that there's a category of prayer that is just give me thing to make feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me thing to make feel better, which is, which is why we wear two masks <laughs> and, and why, because if we just do the thing, then we hope the right. government will give the thing to make feel better. John, and I have colored, John, I have colored sticks. Yeah, and John Frum is is there, and he's gonna. If we pray to the CDC, yeah, it's all it's all just it's it's really the same mentality. Uh, so thank you, listener, fabricator general, for uh, that question. Uh, do you think fabricator general is a big man or a rubbish man, I think or a big, a big woman or rubbish woman? I'm not sure. I think he's a big man. I think he's a big man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I probably, I, I agree. So, uh, yeah, I was a little late this morning. Well, that's okay. I, I'm sorry. I was, I was, you know, I was, um, I had some trouble this week. I was, I was over in, uh, in the Middle East <laughs> and I was, well, I don't want to. I was driving a boat. I see. Yeah. And I got a little, I wasn't paying attention, and I got a little crookedy. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I stopped global trade. I was wondering if you had any involvement in this. Yeah, it was a problem. It was an accident. Uh, I, I apologize for causing $9.1 billion a day in losses um, for stopping all, the flow of all naval traffic around the globe. Um, but it was an accident. Um, and so no one can really be mad at me. Uh, <laughs> how great was that though? Plugging I, I up like the Suez he, Canal. He drew a, he drew a wiener in the ocean with his, yeah. with his path and then, and then blocked the Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's some questions here. One, uh, there's some, we haven't heard the name of the driver of the ship yet, the captain, which is how you probably know it's a woman. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's probably a woman, oh, which no. is why they because it, it's like the same principle of like, if there's a mass shooting and the name doesn't come out immediately or pictures, then it's not a white person. 
Just as an aside, did you see Kurt Eichenwald talking about how the Colorado shooter was probably anti-masker violence? Did you uh, see that take? That was of all the of all the hot takes over the Colorado shooting. I think Kurt Eichenwald wins for the hottest of hot takes, saying no, that no, it was somebody shot up the place because of masking requirements. Uh, no, I did not see that. But I haven't also followed Kurt Eichenwald since his tentacle porn disaster. Yeah, well, I'm just waiting around for the next disaster. Yeah, you know, well, we got to be there. You got to be there when it happens. Yeah, so I I do enjoy. There's a timeline of his of his bio bio on Twitter where every like year he's just dropping one of the places he works for. Yeah, it's like it's like New York Times journalist and that's gone, and it's like Wapo journalist and that's gone, and now it's just tentacle porn aficionado. Yep, I mean he'll never live that down. No, um, but yeah, the. Uh, if if a shooter is not immediately identified, that means he is probably a non-white person. Mm-hmm. And if the if the person that wrecks a massive public transportation vehicle is not identified, that means it's probably a woman. Yeah. So they probably had. I mean, it could not be. Could be a man, and they're not telling us for other reasons. I don't put money on it being a lady, and then she just. But see, the only thing that makes me suspect that that is not true is that uh, women don't typically just draw big penises in the sea. In- indeed. But there's so a pretty not. good ru- there's a good rubric you just brought up there in interpreting media information and lack thereof, in that if a crucial detail, which is probably known by someone, is not released in the reporting, it's because it it had no useful spin. And there was, there was no there was no way to make it serve the narrative they wanted, so they left it out. Right. I mean, uh, of course, people know who the driver of this boat was. Yes. Right. That is, the boat left with a driver, and that person should still be in charge. Right. Of the boat. Right. So, or I guess a, a crew of drivers, because big boats require more than one person. It's probably not even that hard to discover. Right, no, you could figure it out if you were, but they just haven't, or they did, and they said, mm, "This makes someone look bad." Yep, like it's maybe it's a maybe it's a Muslim transgender woman, <laughs> and she just thump, <laughs> just right into the right into the shore there, and uh, and made some some Egyptian man with his singular backcoat try and dig it out. Which is the plan. That's the plan of the global trade is to have one farmer with a backhoe figure this out. Well, I think the wouldn't Navy's be great on if, the way with a dredger. Uh, wouldn't it be great if someone plugged up the Panama Canal at the same time? Like, whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's already, there's already – I'm dealing with it in my job. Shortages really? of all sorts of stuff. It's hard to get any – like packaging, materials, chemicals – very difficult mm. to get things right now. Uh, uh, all sorts of things. See you, and, you and then you block, and then you block the Suez Canal. This is not. I'm not going to have a fun day on Monday. I just tell you that. See, you operate in a world that still is um, connected to like things. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas my job is completely ethereal at this point, <laughs> and I never notice shortages. Really nice. <laughs> I never notice shortages or anything because I, I like all I'm. All I am asked to do and paid to do is like 
walk into places and put my hands behind my back and walk around and nod or shake my head. Yeah. I go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. Don't do and that's just, and people are like, oh, okay. And then it, that, none of it means anything. I'm just there for like, Well, just to put it into perspective for you, before the Suez Canal thing, it was taking me, I don't know, six weeks to get a box of bottles. Just regular, like, plastic bottles. No big deal. Probably 25 billion of them in the world at any one time. Mm. So, globalism and and global trade are not going to have a good year, by the look of it. Well, that's, I mean, that's good. Yeah, I, I always need is those. good, yeah. I, I need those reports from people in the field because I don't, I don't even require like office things. Yeah. Like, like pens or paper. I have no physical requirements. And so I'm just, I've already ascended to Nirvana or something. Do you, do you just wrap yourself in a bed sheet and then walk around doing, <laughs> doing physics? Is that your job? I, I do. I do. I just walk around like, hmm. Yeah. And people, uh. I, I haven't tried wearing robes yet, but maybe I will. You should. I, sh- I should. I should. I don't think anyone would care. Uh, so there was the, the cargo ship. Uh, oh, one other aspect of the cargo ship is, of course, we have to look at the conspiracy angle. Mm-hmm. Was this a conspiracy? Um, in that currently the Russians have deployed most of their Navy in the Mediterranean. And the U.S. has deployed theirs in the Gulf of Oman in the Red Sea. Interesting. And this thing conveniently cut the two off from each other. Um, so did someone pay someone to do this on purpose, perhaps? Maybe. Maybe to look, maybe all those ships lined up in the thing stuck now are easy to search. Maybe someone, U.S. or Russia, is worried about the other side maybe importing a bunch of... Uh, uh, military weapons to the Middle East to some other person that's their ally. Interesting. I don't know. Could be. Uh, I think it's just a, a, a woman driver. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be something more. It could. It could. And the other thing was the debris falling over Oregon. You sent me this. Yeah. What was the, Do you have a take on this? I just saw so, the incredible slow motion shower of sparklies flying through well, the air. Yeah, so if if our listeners weren't aware, just look it up. There's a big, uh, it was a very spectacular like fireball falling over the Oregon sky in the middle of the night, and it was like several little people. It looked, you know, what it looked like. It looked like them in the movie Transformers when the Autobots were raining down from the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked just like that. Um. And people were like, what is this thing? And the, and the people that are videotaping are going, ah, what is it? What is it? No one. And first of all, the video and the comments show that no one really knows what shooting stars or comments look like yeah. anymore. Right. Because people are like, it's just a meteor in the comments. It's a meteor. Why are you guys freaking out? Well, first of all, meteors go very fast. Yeah. Like this, like quite fast. This thing, what, took like 30, 30 seconds to cross from... It took like 30, 40 seconds to cross the sky. And you can't, you don't have time to pull out your phone to start recording a meteor. By the time you see it, it's gone. It's a flash, right? Because rocks in space, relative to Earth, are moving very, very quickly. Indeed. Um, And comets, other people are like, it's just a comet. Not that either. No. Well, with the naked eye, a comet 
looks like a smudge in the sky. Yeah. That's all it is. Like, Hale Bopper Haley's just looks like a little smudge moving across the sky because they're, they're at much greater distances. They're very far away compared to meteors. And, and its uh, tail doesn't follow it. Like, right. In an aerodynamic sense. It, <laughs> Correct. And so it's, it's like when Haley's Comet came through in the 80s, everyone was like, oh, yeah, look up there. There's the smudge. See the smudge? Mm-hmm. And that's all it, that's like, people are again fooled by fake space. Which is where people in in media and in in science they take pictures with very advanced telescopes and of like these these celestial bodies like Halley's comet, yep. and they put them through a bazillion uh, image processing filters, and they add color because there's really not color in the original ones, and then they put it out and people are like, oh, that's what a comet looks like. And that's not what a comet looks like at all to your eyes, or even through a telescope in most cases. Like, you remember that that that, that famous photo of the Pillars of Creation? No. Are you familiar? No. Oh, it's it's just like a picture of a nebula, but it looks... Okay. It's called the Pillars of Creation, and it was taken by the Hubble Telescope, and it's a very nice photo. It's like these big, giant plumes of gas, you know, in, out in space. Yep. Uh, light years away. And people like it, so, but, but all... But, all of it has been colorized because it doesn't actually like they've taken a heat map of the and they've added a color thing onto it, which isn't it's not wrong, but it's sort of dishonest uh, because people think that's what it looks like out in space. Right. And it would not look like that. Right. And so people are, are uneducated and ill informed about about what space is like. And so they see this thing going slowly across the sky that's very close, and they're like, "Oh, it's a meteor," and it's not. It can't be either of them, right? And the official story, which I believe in this case, I think is the most likely, is that this thing was part of the Falcon Nine rocket that brought up the Starlink satellites on March fourth. Mm-hmm. That didn't. That uh, failed to go out properly, and has fallen back into orbit, and is burning up as it comes back down. Okay. Um, that they they think it's like the stage two is coming apart. I think that's the most likely. It looks like debris is coming down, like big. I mean, it's spectacular, but it's sort of breaking apart as it comes down, right? Yeah. Uh, in the video, um. So I think the official story in this case is correct. Probably it's just SpaceX debris. But I will note that SpaceX is now becoming the de facto default explanation for anything seen in the sky. It's like they if there's any light, they're like, it's SpaceX. Yeah. yeah. I don't, aren't there several other companies putting stuff up there right now? Including the United States Air Force? Yeah. And everyone, yeah. So it's like, first it was weather balloons, and then it was military aircraft. Then for a while it was Chinese lanterns, which didn't make any sense because no one does Chinese lanterns. And then recently it's been drones. Everything's a drone. Oh, mm-hmm. what'd you see? It was a drone. And now everything's SpaceX. And we just have the flavor of the month of whatever we um, decide is the new explanation for unidentified aerial phenomena. So if the Chinese army were to arrive on the West Coast via giant dirigibles, we could just say, oh, that's just SpaceX. Don't worry about it. Right. Okay. Right. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we had this. Was, that's the news. That's the news. Did you want to talk about something before we talk about Zomia? Nah, man, let's do whatever Zomia is. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. This is where we need to have that guy. All right. <laughs> uh, so, today we're going to talk about the art of being ungoverned, which is a book by uh, John Scott, a gentleman named John Scott. And um, he noticed in his research, he's an academic, he and some colleagues, noticed that there is an an area uh, of the world in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, roughly Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Mm -hmm. Thailand, Burma, parts of China, um, that though on paper is inside all of these countries in practice is largely an autonomous region okay and he they coined the term uh zomia for this land Uh, so they could you know just have a little name to refer to it and they say in the start of the book zomia is a new name for virtually all the lands at altitudes above roughly 300 meters all the way from the central highlands of vietnam to northeast india and traversing the five southeast asian nations in, and, and four provinces of China. So it's this hill country people, right? And the idea of this of, of this book, The Art of Being Ungoverned, uh, is that uh, so-called barbarians, or people that are outside the, the mainstream nation state, or the state, um, are not, like the story, because the, history is written by states and empires, Right? right, and in the in the in the imperial state version of history, um, barbarians are people that have not yet successfully been integrated into the state. They, they they need to be. It will benefit them when they are, but so far they are not. And his argument is that we should not see it that way, and that the people of Zomia, at least, um, exist how they do. And have a lot of their primitive ways, he argues, quote-unquote primitive, precisely as adaptations, chosen adaptations to prevent them from being as governable as other people. So his argument is that these people have retreated to the mountains and adopted lifestyles, which makes government control over their lives very difficult. And they've done that on purpose. Awesome. Uh, so, and he sees the same, he sees, he sees similar behavior, other words. Wise in the world, he notes, like the uh, hillbillies of America. Mm-hmm. Yep, the, like it's the same idea. Um, also, the people that live in like the swamps would the um, Amish fall into this? The Amish would fall into that too, uh, in a way. Yeah. So, um, Zomia is about two point five million square kilometers, and it contains about one hundred million minority people. So, not a small region. A hundred million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are of a, what would you say, like a bewildering variety of eth- ethnicities and, and languages. Like if you go up there, there's still like tons of small little regional languages that okay. are used. Yeah. And one of his arguments throughout the book is that doing so, like being, his, his one of his arguments is that being ethnically and linguistically fluid uh, makes you very Difficult to control, mm-hmm. by the, and also that maybe being illiterate 
like because his uh, one of his arguments is that the state largely is basically lists. Like that's how control is managed. Like you have people are on actuary tables, and this tells you how much where they live, who they are, and how much they can be taxed. And that the state is basically taxation. Like if you're outside the if you're outside the ability of the government to tax you, you're basically outside the system. Right. And so what do you do if you are it's very difficult for you to be placed on a list because he highlights like the, the British colonists coming through the area of Zomia uh, and they were trying to divvy up the place and figure out like, okay, which place is which, who lives where, who owes what taxes when, right? And they would go through and try and uh, label all these people and all of their categories of trying to label them would be insufficient, like, they would go through and they'd be like, okay, we'll do it by language. We'll do it by language. That'll be easy. If you are in this lang- if you speak this language, we'll call you part of this language group. And that'll be your quote-unquote race. And then uh, we'll do- have this certain relations with these, de- these peoples and figure out how to tax their society. And uh, when they started actually trying to do it in practice, they found that um, th- though the parents may speak two or three languages— the children of those people would speak, also speak two or three languages, but it would be a, a different two or three. And the parents and the kids would share, share only one in common. Interesting. Okay. And because they would be, they would be constantly moving around, and the the people would identify themselves as one ethnicity, but then the neighboring peoples would be like, "Oh no, that's not that's not the Kawasars or whatever. The Kawasars are over there." Yeah, but they claim their cowards are like, yeah, but they they always do that. They're being silly. That was, <laughs> I mean, that was really the problem they kept running into. Yeah, and then they would try like things like uh, a defining feature, like okay, we'll do skin tone. Will be this, but then there was so much intermarriage between them that that didn't work long term either. Um, and also that their laws they would try to pass out to the people uh, could not be read by the people. Right. Yeah. Because they didn't, they were, they had abandoned. And so like, they were like, well, not only can we not put them on the list, but they can't even read the list that we give them. Did, did the Zomians use the currencies of their host nations? Uh, Yes, but they would also use, they would use all of the currencies. It would Ah. be like, if it would be like if you lived in, in Texas Mm -hmm. and you were routinely trading in U.S. dollars but also Mexican pesos and also like Brazilian pay, Brazilian dollars. Mm-hmm. And you were just, you were just completely fluid between those currencies. Any bartering involved in that too? Bar- bartering. And they also would sometimes make up their own currencies. Oh. And so keeping, and so keeping a record of like your income was nearly impossible. I like because it. It's a, it's a very similar situation to what's developing now where everyone has their income in like a thousand cryptocurrencies and yep. no one knows who's trading. It's like, well, how do you how do you do accounting for this? And they didn't know, and so taxing them was very difficult, bordering on impossible. Um, and so the 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 story of the the state is that these people are illiterate barbarians, and we look down on them. But James Scott is arguing that they're they abandoned formal writing precisely to. 
as an adaptation to get away from the control of the state, which is a big claim. Yeah. Um, but it does serve that purpose. And maybe they didn't do it intentionally. Maybe they were just trying to get to, they were a group of people that were trying to get away from the state and just, it happened through a sort of evolutionary process that those that didn't bother to learn language were more successful at doing that. And so it probably like sort of a cultural evolution thing. Well, if, if right. writing things down got you in trouble from this weird government claiming control of your land, I mean, you would do it like you would stop using written language and a couple generations hence, nobody's going to know how to write. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's just it's, the result. I mean, yeah. I mean, think about it. It's sort of like what we're doing now where people increasingly worried about government surveillance are just refusing to text or email stuff. Yeah. They're like, well, I don't want to put my opinions in writing. Mm-hmm. Right? We'll talk on the phone. We're, yeah. You become an oral culture. Or you listen right. to a podcast, which is also an oral culture. Mm-hmm. Because the the um, writing it down provides a record. And government is basically record keeping. And if you don't have a record, mm, right? I mean, that's what they say. That's like... In school, if you get in trouble, it goes on your permanent record. And, <laughs> right. And in the government, if you get in trouble, it goes on your criminal record. But if you just can't be put on a record, it's very difficult. Like if you don't, if you don't have uh, – like these people – it was even hard to get these people in trouble because like you would arrest them like, well, what's your name? And he'd have seven. And then he has no government ID of any kind. He's never been in – he doesn't have licenses. Right. And so then it's like, well, I don't know. Uh, put him down as John Doe or the Chinese equivalent of John Doe. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it very it makes it hard. Now, now, John Scott thinks that Zomia's days are numbered because he believes that this, the, the power of the state to put people on this is, is growing. And I th- but he wrote this before a lot of the he wrote this in uh, the, the early O's or the late O's. The zero zeros. Yeah. Um, and I think that some of the developments, especially in um, cryptography, not just not just the, um, cryptocurrencies, but also crypto cryptographic messaging, mm-hmm. maybe maybe throw a wrinkle in his idea that they're numbered. Because I think maybe they're not. And I think there may be a reason why so many people in Asia have taken up to the, the crypto space so readily, precisely for these reasons. So... Um, I mean, uh, so he believes, like I said, he believes technological advances will make living outside the state more and more impossible. But my position is, is this so? Like, because we have, we have, like, like what you and I have is Urbit now. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a second internet, which is untraceable and no one can knock it off and they can't read your messages, you know? Uh, it's even anonymous. So that's... We have Bitcoin, we have Monero, which is a completely untraceable. I mean, one uh, uh, the CEO of Earth, number 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 fifteen, was talking to me the other day, and he had the same opinion. And I said, "No, they're not going to be able to do it." He's like, "They will. They'll, they'll outlaw cryptocurrency." He's like, "Ah, they won't be able to succeed." I was like, "If China can't do it, the U.S. is not going to be able to do it." Yeah. You know, I mean, China's trying, but they don't, I mean, they don't succeed. I mean, one, even if they crack down as hard as you possibly could, you just, everyone would just use Monero, which is completely anonymous in every way. There's not even a public ledger. So 
I, I, I think that he that Scott may be incorrect that their days are numbered, but we will see. Um, and he also he also points out that that not very long ago, self-governing people not living in a state were the majority of, of mankind. Like now that seems like some sort of anarchist dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but not very long ago, most people did not live in states. They lived in tribal communities. They were they were not incorporated in some larger state thing. Yeah, um, most of human history is pre-Westphalia. Just yeah, and today yeah. it seems so alien because the state is so big and all encompassing. Yeah, you're like, what do you mean? You know, like like America, the U.S. government claims that it owns and has jurisdiction over everything from the Atlantic to the Pacific over these latitude lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, but in actuality, how much of it that space is it actually controlling? Right. You know, like I had this revel. I went. I, you know, I was in in my continued efforts to become because one of the things you know he's talked about being ethnically fluid, and I think our our maps listeners are, are ethnically fluid. Also, we are now. Are we forming a new ethnicity here? We should. Perhaps. Yeah. I don't know what we'll call ourselves. Maybe maybe we're the sky people. Mm. And we wear feathers like the Native Americans. Yeah, man. Uh, but I had this, because re- I was, in my efforts to become sky people, I've recently started flying airplanes. Uh, which is a lot of fun, but also somewhat scary. Because uh, if you never have tried to take off a, a little plane, you have to go, it looks like you're going a lot faster from the driver's seat than it does from the passenger seat. I bet is all I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> like if you're if you're riding in a plane and you're in the back seat, it's like yeah. But if you're like if you're like the one in the front, it's like being in the front of the roller coaster. It's like oh, this is this is quite fast. But anyway, you go up in the air, and um, the first thing you notice is that most of the the America is uh, a vast wilderness. Yep, where no one lives. And that people assume that we are this this highly controlled metropolis because they all live in clusters, but most of it is um, is completely ungoverned because to be governed means basically that they can project force to that area, and there's almost all of it is not a place you could send a policeman to. And the ability I mean, to just, project force has been declining for some time. Correct. And is declining ever more rapidly. And it, the, the illusion is that it's more, but that's only because they they project strong shows of force in like one area. Yep. Like they have currently uh, D- Washington, D.C. locked down, right? Right. With the military. But that just means that there's less military to go around other places. I mean, just do a simple calculation of the number of people in the army divided uh, – the. By the number of square miles of the United States, yeah, it's and there's no is I mean there's no possible way you can actually project force over the whole thing. You have to choose your targets, right? And so most of most of, there, and there's people just doing any, but then you notice there's people living like way out in the boonies, and they have done. Uh, they're doing insane things. Like the guy that was teaching me flying, he was pointing out all these little airstrips around the countryside. He's like, oh, yeah, people people have all their little private planes and they fly all over the place. 
And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, look over there on that island. See that island in the river? There's an airstrip right there. Some guy built. He has his own private island. Over there, there's one. And then over there. And I didn't realize this because I don't know anything about flying, right? And in my head, again, because I'm still in the American mindset of the government controls everything, this sounded strange. Uh, but I, he was like, you know, you don't have to, if you have your own plane and runway and stuff, you don't have to like tell anybody that you're going into the air, which I think shocks a lot of people. You just get, yeah, just like you get in your car. If you have, you just get in and you go and no one can do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, there's no like, there's no like person you have to notify to get into the air or to land. Right. Or to fly. He's like, basically, he had this map and he's like, there's these areas around big airports and military bases that they're worried about. And the rest of it is open sky. He's like, so as long as you don't, he's like, basically, you can just you can just be in the sky. Yeah. Over any part of America. And he said he looked at me, he goes, you can actually do it going across borders, too. No one really knows or cares. Like he's like, I've flown over Mexico. I've flown into Canada, landed in Canada. Without passports, without, and it's like no. First of all, no one knows because this is a tiny plane that doesn't show up on radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, no one cares because what they're what the government's interested in is these centers of where they like the airport terminal, right? Yep. Like if you go, but you, but look, there's nothing stopping you, listeners, from being a a, a, a Mexican immigrant crossing the border the other way. Right. Like, like this is this got me thinking this this is book on Zomi is like, well, is a wall such a good idea? Do you really want to not be able to escape to Mexico? <laughs> right. Maybe you want to maybe you want to be able to escape to Mexico rather than to a place that's a little more free in the future. Yeah. You know, the Berlin Wall was built to keep the communists, the uh, people on the east side in. Yeah. Not to keep the west side out. Um, so maybe it's not, maybe you just, but you can, if you, I mean, I, I mean, I know people that have walked across the border to Canada unknowingly just hiking. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's nobody, there's sort of nobody home when you get outside of the main structures of society. Um, no one's governing it. It's just, so I think that we should all in, 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 in maps, we should all have planes on, and all have runways on our homesteads and just create a uh, pan-continental network of uh, homesteading sky pirates. Down with this. And we just, fl- we just go fly back and forth. I mean, why, why can't uh, Creative Accidents have a farm somewhere out wherever he lives? Mm-hmm. And, Duke of a- and then we all have grass runways because yep. that's all you need. And you just – if you have a half mile of flat land covered in grass – you can land a plane on it, and you can take off from there. And then you just you we could be at each other's place in like three hours, because these things go frightening, frighteningly fast. <laughs> I was looking at this speedometer. I was like, "Wow, I'm going 400 miles an hour." I've just got I this don't beautiful. Feel comfortable with that, there's a beautiful vision of a like a maps meetup by appointment uh, and airplane only, and we all get Is, together. Wouldn't that be? A, I had that. I had that same boil. vision of us all. Of us all, one after another, landing in a, landing in the yeah. middle of a field somewhere, and like the, we can smoke some, <laughs> wouldn't that be smoke great? Some butts, man, you know it'll be great. Yeah, in the middle of Idaho or something. 
And we could, and you could do that. Like people are like, oh, they're going to require something for travel, like vaccines for travel. First of all, they're not because uh, travel is international and there's going to be a lot of places around the world that just do not have mass vaccinations, like Africa, for instance. Yeah. Um, and they're still going to want to fly to America and it's just not going to work. Well, well, that's I, just I've, I've canceled plans to go to Canada uh, this year because they're they're saying that you Americans will be required to show proof of vaccination to get into Canada. So maybe yeah. your maybe your um, flight instructor can sneak me in. Right, and so you just but uh, so first of all, the, that's what people are saying, and then but then you say okay, uh, but also, what if you just flew your own plane? Mm, indeed. Right. I mean, it doesn't. Does it go? If you get like a Cessna or something, is it going to go as fast as a seven forty seven? No, but it still goes pretty fast. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, especially because you're going in a straight line, mm-hmm. and you don't. I mean, it cuts down the amount of travel time tremendously, uh, and you can get all around the country in this, and all around all the countries with these sorts of things. You can even do. I don't know if you've ever had a if you ever had a boat on the ocean. But in the same way, there's no one really, in most cases, stopping you from sailing to another country. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, it's just, oh, it's just water. And you just are like, oh, now I'm in a different place. Mm -hmm. And nothing. And then you get out and you, and then you're just walking around like, oh, yeah, I'm here now. And uh, this, this imaginary border didn't, didn't bother me. And so that that's the sort of mindset you have to start adopting. Uh, now, I, I as I, I made a tweet earlier, I was like, you know, the case for radical optimism. Because yep. people think it's going to become totalitarian. And it, they're going to try as they die. As the state is backed into a corner, it will bite harder. Mm-hmm. But they are losing. God, don't worry too much. I mean, like, there's so many things going our way that it's almost... Like, people people worry about the Second Amendment... At the same time that, like, there's whole companies devoted to uh, ghost guns now. Yeah, man. Like, distributed, unregistered guns that are everywhere. You can literally print a gun in your house. Just about. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can you can just print gun, And then um, the, the cryptocurrencies are taking off everywhere. We have our own platforms. Um, cities are dying. I mean, things are actually going our way in a number of cases. The left is eating itself, which we all knew that it would, and they're spiraling out of control. So really, I don't think there's uh, long-term much need to, to black pill at all. But uh, that said, if you want to avoid things in the time, again, just – it's the same thing. Like if you want to – tr- no, one, no one will s- stop you if you get in a hot air balloon and just fly somewhere. There are no police in the sky. You know, just like there's no police underwater or on the sea, really. I mean, if you're continually running cocaine between here and Mexico, yeah, the Coast Guard might pick up on you. Mm-hmm. But other than that, a lot of this just doesn't happen. And uh, so, like in Zomia, that that you know what the Chinese call the people living in the hill in the hills? They call them our living ancestors. Uh huh. That's interesting because because they they. In their heads, they are what they are what the Chinese were like before they discovered like wet rice cultivation, Buddhism, civilization, right? Um, uh, 
but but he says John Scott argues that no, he thinks of them as more of like a transnational Appalachia, and that Appala- that these 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 places these hill peoples have the same things um, in in common. Um, yeah. So. Uh, right. So virtually everything about these people's livelihoods, there's another quote, social organizations, ideologies, and their largely oral cultures can be read as strategic positionings designed to keep the state's arm at length, uh, including their place of living, like their physical dispersion in rugged terrain, mm-hmm. uh, their mobility, their cropping practices, their kinship structure. Uh, pliable ethnic identities, their devotion to prophetic millenarian leaders. Now, see if that doesn't sound familiar with people in the hill, the, the hill, the hillbillies of America. Yeah, man, a lot of this is is ringing real true for Appalachia. Yeah, like they're they're like when you people a, a constant source of complaint uh, with mainline Protestants and Catholics is that. Evangelicals and the, the the largely the forms of Christianity that have taken up in in what we would call the hillbilly country in America are a bit uh, a bit wild sometimes. Yeah, and and uh, they often have this this sort of idea of well, they're often they're very they're very often centered on the rapture and like the mm-hmm. end times. Yeah, and and very charismatic leaders mm-hmm. right and 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 what you might say are some form of prophet you know like some charismatic uh religious leader comes along and is like you know talking about rapture and have, but he points out the same exact thing happens in zomia all the time just under the guise of buddhism and his his uh, his idea is that um these people this is a this is an adaptation of people who are outside the state structures or are desiring to be. uh, And they always focus on these strong men leaders who come around and then make claims of like, I, my authority from God actually supersedes whatever the state is saying. Right. Right. And so then people, they glom onto that. Like he, he talks about the, the, the Baptists, um, the Southern Baptists having great success in these, in these, Mountains, mm-hmm. uh, and he goes um, in their conversion practices, and he goes, "It's it's very fortunate that the Baptists came to some place that was very ready. It was always looking for a, a, a Messiah. Yeah, because they were just always like, well, where's the next Messiah? Boom, here's Jesus. Okay, let's go. And they're just like, yeah, great, give it to us. Let's go. And then and then they took it, and then some of them used it how the Baptists thought they would." And some of them used it to uh, say that the, the Chinese government was going to bring down the end times and that they <laughs> had to. I mean, just like they do here. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same thing. So. Um, and in some this idea of pliable ethnic identities, like in some ways, the right wing move to embrace ethnic identity like whiteness or Anglo-Saxon, mm-hmm. perhaps more of a move towards slavery than freedom. Because then you're like you're you're making yourself anything you can do to be put in a list or a category makes yourself more governable. Interesting, right? What well, what if you were just like, well, I'm just like, what if we were just sky people instead of white? I'm gonna start writing that on my census document. Yeah, sky people, sky person. <laughs> um, 
I, I like that because it's both we're both also a, a society built on plain culture and the free movement through the air. But also we are devoted. We're we're looking up to the heavens. There you go. See. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, just just think think twice about that. Um. I, and there's a um, other people that have this sort of same idea, um, like gypsies. Uh, polygot tribes, the the Cossacks, um, the people that were the refugees of the Spanish in the New World, uh, Marsh Arabs, Sand Bushmen. All these peoples have the same sort of uh, social structures. And the argument is that that's not coincidental, but that is what people do when they're trying to outrun empires. And you, you find this same sort of Mm. the same sort of pastoralism that focuses on these wild swings in religion, mm-hmm. uh, shifting cultivation. They're more focused. They don't really, they don't really, they don't really go to authorities ever. They right. have their own authorities and they will settle disputes. And you, you sort of see this in America too. Like the idea that your handshake was your bond. Like you would not go get a contract. Right. And involve the law. And if somebody welched on your deal, you you wouldn't necessarily sue them, but the society itself would make it would punish them with lack of trust going with forward. lack of trust, or you would go punish them yourself with a gun. Yeah, that too. Which is how people. But when you think about it, uh, how is that different than what the government does if you renege on a contract and refuse to show up to court? Yeah, they they still are using the force of the gun to enforce that but why is it so how in in some ways how is it any different than if a person does that just on their own and so the 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 yankee culture has always been which is the the overriding culture of america new englandy waspy thing has always been re- recourse to institutional structures yeah whereas in other parts of america uh the idea has been you should not involve the state as much as possible. And this is one, this is one area where I admire black culture because they're mm-hmm. like snitches get, sti- you know, snitches get stitches. Yeah. Don't what, this is between us. Why are you involving the cops? This is like, this is a, like, you know, that's, they see that as dishonorable and in some ways it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why don't you just come talk to me? Why don't we work this out? And if working it out involves, a shootout, then that's just what it involves. There is, I mean, there's no, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the, the knee jerk reaction to that is like, Oh, that's just vigilantism and revenge culture. And, and, you know, all this blood feuds and all this stuff. And it's like, well, it can be that can be, but that. it can also be, um, the way a society handles their own business. Right. And, right, and, like- and take some ownership of, of maintaining their social order rather than farming it out to some bureaucrat who doesn't live anywhere near them, who doesn't share their culture or their beliefs, uh, who doesn't care if, if their neighborhood, if their town is flourishing or dying, you know, why would you give somebody that doesn't give a care about your, your well being and your family and your posterity and future generations? Why would you, why would you, wrap them into it when they don't have a dog in the fight. They're just yeah. they're just they're just in it for a sweet pension courtesy of you. 
Correct. Yeah, and like this is why back to blue is probably a bad idea. Yeah. I mean the same that like like you shouldn't be like just because like <sighs> there there's a difference between me uh backing Andy Griffith who grew up in my town and I know his parents and he's the deputy and I'm going to help him out where I can because I appreciate what he's doing to help keep our town safe and orderly. Then and then, like backing the blue in a mega city with a bunch of bureaucrats and government officials who are unionized and are just squabbling over tax revenue, uh, and may or may not show up when I actually need them. That's that's those are two very different things, and and you can't you can't equate them. Like the impulse to equate all police, and we have to support all police. No, I don't have to support all police. I don't have a stitch. Of sympathy or support for like Atlanta or NYPD, I don't care right. what they do. I don't care how successful they are at it. the The little local county deputies that I uh, encounter on occasion, and while I don't really know them, it's a little more of a local relationship. You know, I there's a degree to which I care about what happens to them, how their job is going, how our local society interacts with them. Those are two very different things. Correct. And when you yeah, do and this back the blue thing, it becomes frankly sort of a religion. Yeah, it's the counter religion to the BLM religion. Yeah. Is yeah. that it, and it's like do you really want to you know, if you're if you're a freedom loving American and you say mm-hmm. you want freedom, well then why do you want police? The police are just there for the state to exert authority over you and collect revenue. Right. And collect revenue like and as we've seen, if if they are told to, they will stand down while a mob burns your place down. Yeah, they did it like lots why, of times in 2020. They did it lots of times. They're not going to show up to protect. And then if you yeah, get mad the, about the mayor, it, the mayor they may and the city you. council. Yeah, the mayor and the city council control what the police do, and the mayor and the city council don't care about you, big city dweller. It's. I mean, it, it should be evident to all of you that they don't care if your house gets burned down. They don't care if you get killed by a mob. They only care about political optics and, you know, election returns and securing the favor of federal officials who can give them big grant money and some sweet kickbacks. Right. That's what's dictating the behavior of the police in your giant megacity. Right. Like so you, the, you do, we do have to see through this, people. Yeah. So black people are correct in that don't involve the police uh, when you don't have to, which is most of the time. Yeah. Just don't, just don't, like, why, why are they, and if you don't do that, then they start to go away, because then they're not called as much, they don't need as many, the police get, they don't, they lose some funding, they hire less cops. Right. Right. But, but with that comes a responsibility, like, if that's the way you're going to play it, great, but then you also, you need to build your own local structures and customs and right. culture that can govern your community. Like, it just right. can't be... If you let it slip into the hands of a just a different strongman, like the local, uh, you know, cartel or gang or whatever, you haven't done yourself any favors. C- correct. Um, I mean, think about it. Some of the really actual free people. I mean, this was a joke that Zizek used to make that someone told him, uh, but it's true. Is that there was a? This is actually a true story. There was a um, Arab man who moved to America. And he said, 
They call this the land of the free. I can't even beat my wife here. What kind of freedom is this? <laughs> right. And he's got a, he has sort of a like like some of the true most free people in the world right now are the herdsmen in Afghanistan. Yeah. I mean, that truly like they're I mean, this is why the idea that they hate us for our freedoms is always dumb. I was like, they have way more freedom than you do. Mm -hmm. They can do anything. They can they can like get together and chop off people's heads and nothing happens. I mean, not that you should, but they can. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, think about like like they resisted countless caliphates, the Mm -hmm. Russians, the USSR, the USA. They threw off all They're like, no, we're not being good. And they. Through a lot of the same methods as the Zomians, like they don't have, they have an oral culture. They have thousands of little languages, thousands of little tribes. Classifying them is difficult. They they have an adherence to um, wild prophets that, in the name of Islam, come along and like we have to do this now. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's that that strategy appears to be the strategy that peoples adopt when they want to not be inside of a state. And it yeah. seems very effective. Um, so, I mean, think of who also is very free is the pirates of Somalia. Yeah. I mean, they're way more freer than you are. So how do you so how do you square the the apparent freedom of these people with their also quite apparent very low quality of life? Um, well, some of them do have low quality of life and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Um like I think the the low quality of life of the Afghan herdsmen is is somewhat overstated. The the Somalians got started. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but the Somali pirates got started because other countries were embro- were uh, encroaching on their fishing land, their mm-hmm. fishing not land, their fishing sea, yeah. and they were depleting it of fish. And so eventually, the Somalians started. The Somali fishermen started like getting guns and getting on their boats and driving out there and chasing them away. Yep. And things just sort of escalated. Right. And, then, you know, and they were like, well, now you're going to give us the money back that you stole from all. And, um, well, there's a, but see, this is the, it's the difference between like, I think you have to thread the needle here of becoming like, um, barbarous, like truly like a violent people, mm-hmm. but all, but and also like having um a nanny state. Yeah. And people don't think that you can do that. But I think maybe you can. And maybe we're we're getting I think it's been done before. I think arguably America used to be that uh not so long ago. Like the mm-hmm. old west was was I mean the old west was not that violent. Occasionally they would have like shootouts with Indians or something. But on the whole, it was not very violent at all. But also yeah, there wasn't true. There wasn't so it is it is possible, and I think a lot of it is just you. Technology has allowed more people to be put on lists mm-hmm. and actuary tables, but you can also just try your best to not be put on any sort of list. Which is the you, main, you know, the big it, the big pro- the big problem here, uh, the biggest obstacle for people in America that want to try to live in these ways, is that. It has become very difficult in America to be able to control property without it being deeded, like, by the state and in some property register down at the county office or whatever, and therefore subject to taxation 
and therefore subject to confiscation. Like, how do you own property without it being anybody's business in America? That's my well, huge – that's like the A number one question in my mind with this topic. Well, yes. And he, he addresses that in, in the book. Well, to do that, you, you either need um, a uh, a sort of – some cultures have done it by having large familial tribes that just defend it with arms. Yep. Um, and then B, they, they have adopted, um, various cultivation practices, which do not require them to be in the same place every year. Interesting. Okay. Like wet, like wet rice farming is, is something and like, like, or like our farming of fields is something mm-hmm. where you prepare the fields, and, but they have more, um, slash and burn mm-hmm. cultivation. Uh, that allows them to well farm here this year, and then next year well, maybe we farm somewhere else. Uh, and so, one of the things that these people have always had is a certain degree of nomadism, mm-hmm. because I mean it is true to some degree that, that that private property or like property ownership and the state go together, because right. like the the Native American tribes who were nomads didn't really have a concept of like private property. Well, there used there used to be a fair like the government used to be fair about this. They would say, "Okay, this portion of our nation is currently uncontrolled, so you can homestead there. You Mm -hmm. can just go out there and have some land." And they still do this in Canada, by the way, up in the northern parts. They still do it in some parts of America. Really, homesteading in America? Yeah, there's still some states with homesteading laws. (sighs) Okay, more on that later. Uh, But that that. That's one solution to this, but it would it would require our government to say, okay, just because there's a bunch of land out there that nobody controls, it doesn't make it federal property. Right. But right Which now, in, in many states, like most of the state is con- considered federal property, which is ridiculous because – Think think about all the people that could just go and homestead there and cultivate it and make it productive and new cities and towns could grow but right now try to start a new town in this country you cannot do it yeah i've looked into this you cannot do it it's not feasible that was the that was where uh the the bundys got in trouble they got in their kerfuffle with the government yeah because they were having their cows and they were letting them graze in the wild and the government was like this is our land and the Mm -hmm. bundys were like uh no it isn't yeah this is just land it's just land, and you don't get this. Yeah. And then they the used Bundys, to be called the range. They were out on the range, and, and look, one day the, the government said, "Oh, we own the range." Yeah. yeah, and then the Bundys, the Bundys, the government said, "No, you're going to give us that." And the Bundys said, "We'll come and take it." Yeah, and they had they had exactly what I was just describing. They had a big familial tribe, and they all got together with guns and pointed them at the the FDA yeah. the, the agents, and the government <laughs> left. Yeah, they because they're like, well. Uh, we're not going through that. Mm-hmm. And so if people are actually willing to defend it, and I'm not saying that that's the best strategy, but I am saying that it is a strategy that worked. Like yeah. I'm, no one's, this podcast is not advocating violent revolution because anyone, people are always like, rah, 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 but no, I'm just saying that that's what they did. And that, that, that they're, they, they disagreed that the government mm-hmm. owned the, uh, the rights of their cows to be there. Right. And they were willing to go to arms over it, and that made a difference. Right. One way, but one way or another, the the 
uninhabited portions of our country need to become governed like or ungoverned like the open ocean is. I mean, yeah, there's like the law of the sea, but good luck, you know, getting any of that enforced. Except yeah. in extraordinarily large and high dollar circumstances. Yeah, I mean, right. I agree that I think that in large portions of the country, we do need to defund the police. Like, yeah, because de- defund everything. I mean, if defund there's everything. just rocks defund and the FBI. lizards, there doesn't need to be government there. Right. Yeah, the defund the FBI, defund, like, because, you know, it's like, is this or is this the land of the free and the home of the brave or isn't it? Can't you, t- yeah. can't you watch over yourself? There's, there's no freedom on, you know, federally controlled property, and it doesn't require any bravery to be there. Correct. Correct. So, um, I'll give you some examples uh, before we close out of, of empires and states complaining about the Hill people. <laughs> All right. So, this is, this, is, um, this is a quote. The isolation occasioned by methods of travel so slow and difficult is intensified by several circumstances. For one thing, the route around the the routes are roundabout. Travels either up is either down one branch along a creek and up another branch or up a stream to a divide and down another stream or a further divide. This being the case, married women living within 10 miles of their parents have passed a dozen years without going back to see them. That was from uh a mainline um Protestant person speaking about the difficulties of engaging with the people in uh, West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> West Virginia. It really, it really was like back in the day. That's my people. Yeah. Because they were like, they were just so uh, isolated. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and so there was, there's two strategies. One is to be extremely isolated. The other is to be constantly mobile, which is not why I have, I have been a proponent of hashtag van life and also hashtag have your own plane. Because just, just be, imagine, like, because a state doesn't exist unless you can lock people down to an area. Mm -hmm. That's what makes a state, like, what, what does it mean to vote if no one lives in one space? Yeah. Like, who gets to, who gets to vote there? What does it mean to tax people if they don't, like, how do you tax the, this is another dirty secret of America, is that the. Are gypsies, which are not Roma, but just people that travel everywhere, mm-hmm. seldom really pay any taxes, yeah, because they don't live anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like they're just they're like here here they live and then over there they live, and whether or not they're you know they just they really don't. Um, so a a, a degree of uh, mobility, you know, mobility and freedom are not that they, they may be synonymous in many cases. Um. Not necessarily, but you need to be able to move, even if you're even if you're not moving. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. Like you need to be you need to be able to to go, even if you're not. And so the one thing we have to ask in closing, like that Mitchell and Webb skit, uh, where they're they're wearing the skull caps and they're like, he looks at him and goes, and they're the Nazis and they go, "Are we the baddies?" <laughs> and he's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, our caps have skulls on them." Isn't that something the bad guys would do? Um, <laughs> so just to consider, are those of us who are generally, quote unquote, pro-civilization, are we merely pro-state? And if not, mm-hmm. what's the difference? Yeah. 
right? Fair Are question. you merely pro state? And so, in some ways, let us have sympathy for the anarchists who made the the autonomous zone in uh, Seattle. In some ways, that's in some ways that was admirable. They're just like, you know what? If they had this done is- it out on the range, I would have been a lot more supportive. Yeah, I agree because they they hurt a lot of people in the doing of it. Yeah, but they wrecked a but lot like, of small businesses and all that. Right. So that's the that's the negative portion. But let's that's we focused on that before. Let's yeah. focus on the positive portion, which is that they had a spirit of freedom and ungovernance, and and that spirit should be encouraged. It just should be channeled in a more positive way. And so here we're healing the left and right divides right now. We are we're bringing everyone together. This is a podcast of healing and hope and change and uh, and love and light. You know, back in the day, libertarians used to talk about this kind of stuff instead of, you know, weed and sex. I I know. I think uh, more and more I'm becoming sort of an anarchist because it's just the, uh, as you study conspiracy theories, you're like, wow, the government's horrible all the time. Yeah, uh, which is a which is a biased view. It's not horrible all the time. It's just horrible a lot of the time. You know, Tolkien became an anarchist later in life. Really? He wrote. Yeah, he wrote that in his letters. He said he was either favoring anarchy or like a very distant, low key monarchy that didn't bother people. Because, and it's not hard to see why. Because he lived through the government uh, feeding two generations of his people into machine guns yep. fire mm-hmm. uh, for really no reason or benefit. Yep. Um, just it just impoverished the the country and ruined all the good things that England had. Um, so he was like, "Well, I'm not trusting anyone." To, you know, to it's not hard to see why Tolkien became so. Um, so that's what I say when people get mad at me for being an like anarchist. Like, well, look, it is trad because Tolkien was it, and he invented orcs. So what's more trad than him? Excellent point. Exactly. I mean, um. Plus, also, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of, for some reason, a bit weird, a lot of right-wing people became monarchists, you know, mm-hmm. which is not, I understand, I get it, it's fine. Not not hating on it. But let's keep in mind that uh, God himself said it wasn't a good idea <laughs> in the yeah. Bible. Because <laughs> they were like, let's have a king, and God was like, don't do that. And like, no, really, we want to. And then God was like, he's just going to, he's just going to use it to oppress you. And they're like, no, seriously, we want a king. God's like, fine, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, so just, just, yeah, I don't know. Let's just, let's maybe we have a society more modeled after the the Book of Judges, where we're just sort of a tribal people, and we have loose judges that are. Does doesn't it, the Book of Judges just descend into more violence and death and despair all the way from beginning to end? No. Yeah, it does. It's that okay. Was a question. It's okay. They cut up Look, a prostitute pro- at the end of it or something. The problem <laughs> is none of us body parts none all of us have the long <laughs> The prop but look, that's what you gotta do. If you're gonna <laughs> <What>? No <laughs> I don't have the answers. I don't have I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just I don't have the answers for all the details. This is the thing. People are like, you propose a new system and people are like, but what about all the death that would occur? And you go, I don't know. We'll solve that when we get to it. Like I heard this Great phrase the other day in Florida, of all places, mm-hmm. which is where the, the real Florida men are also poets because they sit there with their uh, Jane tattooed on their collarbone and their and their fingernails yeah. uh, and, and their brass knuckles. But I was outside and there was this one guy who was a classic Florida man. He had a beer gut. He was 
very tanned slash sunburned, mm-hmm. walking around shirtless outside of the strip mall, because why not, in his flip-flops. And he has on the phone talking very loudly, and he goes, yeah, yeah, well, we'll burn that bridge when we have to cross it. And then he hung up. And I was like, that was poetry. We'll burn that bridge when we have to cross it. That is a, that is Florida man. And that's, look, I don't have an answer to the systems, to mm-hmm. these questions, but we'll burn that bridge when we have to cross it. You understand? Okay. I don't have the answers yet. We don't, this is not a podcast advocating any kind of violence or anything, but you're saying, what about your system you're imposing may entail violence unnecessarily or as a consequence? And I say, I don't, we'll burn that bridge when we have to cross it. I'm not sure how that's going to work yet, but we're going to be peaceful, loving people throughout. We love you all, listeners. We're ascending to the fifth dimension. In our Cessnas. In the age of Aquarius. In the Cessnas, yeah. Everyone go buy a plane. I know that's a big ask. (laughs) We haven't even funded the billboard yet. Plane. Now you're, we're on to planes. Oh, I know. Oh, oh uh, quick while the, in, while the exit's going. Uh, more yeah. people donated. Thank you, James uh, uh, Robuck. Ro- James James B. Robuck III. Thank you, James. Thank you, uh, Michael Capo Keys. Creative yeah, Accidents man. again. Love creative. Thanks, bro. Uh, I think I already thanks Bag, 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 Bannickster. Uh, oh, Bannister. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Everyone, thank you. Uh, we we got to fund the billboard. Um, and after we fund the billboard, we'll work on getting everyone planes. Go get a... <laughs> hey, wait. Pause. Pause the, pause the exit. It's Is paused. the exit paused? Yeah. Here's the thing. I was talking with someone about this. Do you realize how not a lot of... It only takes 40 hours of flying to get a license. You can knock it out in a week. Which cake. seems, does that seem like too little time to be flying a plane over people's houses? Yes. Uh, but that's what it is. And if you only fly for 12 more hours, you can you can get certified to land on water. Which oh, we definitely nice. need to do. Yeah, yeah. And so in 52 hours, you can be you can go from never having flown ever to across the, the Alaskan bush or on a river somewhere. And so everyone needs to go do this. Just go get your licenses. Uh, that's what I'm asking you. And then we'll work on the planes later. When you get sky your people, license. Sky people forever. Hua hua. Or whatever our, our chant is that we say. Okay. Yeah. We got to come up with a license, tribal can chant. You come, can you come pick me up and we'll go on a maple syrup run? Yes. Get that good stuff. I really want to. I do need to take a trip to the Adirondacks. Uh, The Adirondacks are calling me. 